welcome to our program, The New Resilient You, where we're looking at how to develop our emotional resilience so that we can face the storms of life, so that we can get up and get going again when life throws curveballs, and so that we're not victim to our emotional state all the time. My name is Susie Botros, and it's my privilege and honour to journey with you across these sessions. You've just joined us at session number four out of a four part, uh, five-part series, and so... Let's first define resilience. Essentially, resilience is your ability to bounce back from life's challenges and avoid becoming a victim to your emotions and circumstances. It's the ability to bounce back. In fact, it's the ability to bounce forward. It's to get better every single time where you begin to recognise growth and strength in the way that you face and respond to challenges. As I keep saying, resilience is a muscle, regardless of where you sit on the scale between optimistic and pessimistic, you have what it takes. You have everything you need on the inside of you to develop your resilience. It's just like a muscle, a fitness muscle being developed through training and exercise. And so enjoy the journey as we unpack this session, which looks at the key how to regulate your emotions. But before we get there, I love the Peter Scazzaro quote from the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it goes like this, emotional health and spiritual health are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Wow, that is such truth. You see, you and I want to be just like Jesus. We want to be able to relate to our Heavenly Father in a way that is hope-filled, that's, uh, you know, believing in His promises, believing that He's for us and not against us. We want to do relationships well and we want to bring our healthy self to relationships. We also want to be a people who have a really solid, integrous inner life. And we also want to be people who influence our world in ways that make a significant difference. And so when we talk about resilience, we're talking about opening up this area of your life that doesn't leave you down and out, but that opens you up to be everything that God created you to be and to be just like Jesus. As I said earlier, today we're looking at this third key called regulating your emotions. As I've been saying, our values, which is key one, our values feed our thinking. The things that we hold important, the values in life actually determine the way that we think. Our thinking patterns then determine the way that we feel, right? If I think that uh, I am dumb, then I will feel maybe incompetent or feel like I don't even want to bother trying to read that book because I won't understand it anyway. But our thinking determines our emotions or our feelings and then how we feel determines our behaviour and what we do with that. And so these things feed into one another. And so today I want to help us regulate our emotions. We all know that emotions can be so gripping, right? 
They really can grip you and often we can get quite frightened of our emotions because they do, they have a way of being like this, you know, this really, really turbulent wave that somehow has a capacity to pull you underwater and we don't like that feeling. It messes with us. It disturbs our equilibrium. It, it makes us feel out of control. It makes us feel like we're just having, you know, happy feelings and joyful feelings just being slowly sapped out of our body. And we don't like that. But today I want to help us understand that emotions are healthy and that our emotions our emotions are necessary for our well-being and they're just part of who we are. And so I want to encourage you, don't be frightened of your emotions, but begin to see them as good friends that are raising some flags or waving at you or trying to get your attention to go, hey, over here, I need some attention. Over here, I need you to focus on this a little bit. So begin to see your emotions as loyal friends, as friends that are on your side. They're not trying to tear you down or destroy you. You don't need to keep shutting them up or silencing them or pretending like they're not there. That's not what resilience is. Resilience is not about denying your emotions. Resilience is about recognising them and then managing them appropriately. And so, I want to leave you with a few tips throughout this session. The first one is this. Watch how you label yourself and your situation. Watch how you label yourself and your situation. You see, a lot of us actually feel things and then feed into those feelings with labels of all sorts. We might say, gee, I'm dumb. Gee, I'm lazy. Gee, I'm incompetent. Um, gee, I'm immature. Gee, I'm a bad decision maker. We label ourselves or our circumstances. You know, sometimes we say things like, uh, that situation is just, there's no hope in that. And so we label it as a defeated situation. You know, that person, they are just useless. And so we label others sometimes as well. And so it's really important to watch the labels that we place on ourselves, on our situations and on others because those labels will create and release emotions within us that cause us to feel in a certain way. You know, and we sort of don't really pay much attention to labels and we go, oh yeah, that sounds so cliche, don't label yourself, whatever. But I want you to visualise with me for just a moment. Imagine if you were walking around with sticky labels all over yourself of all the labels that you say about yourself. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking into a room with all of those sticky labels stuck to you? Can you imagine looking in the mirror with all of those sticky labels stuck at you? You see, what we do on the inside is exactly that. We present ourselves with all of these labels that we've labelled and stuck onto ourselves. And so I want to encourage you to be mindful of the labels that you place onto yourself. Do you know psychologists actually tell us that if we repeat certain labels and if we speak those over ourselves often enough, we actually end up affecting and tampering our identity. You see, the labels that we speak really do stick Watch the labels. They affect the way that you feel. 
Be diligent about using the right language, about using appropriate language, language that's not exaggerated and that's not, you know, so far off reality and so catastrophic. Because you see, your brain and my brain don't know the difference between real and hypothetical. So if you and I were to say something like, oh my gosh, that is such a disaster. Yeah, so that's our thinking. We say it, we then feel it. And the crazy thing is, we not only feel it, but our brain hears the word disaster and it starts releasing these endorphins to help us deal with our problem that is apparently at disaster magnitude. So then we get this influx of hormones, hormones, physiologically speaking, that create more anxiety, more tension, more irrational thinking, more blurry vision, mentally speaking. And we think, wow, why can't I get on top of this? But it's because we're saying things that are feeding into our emotions and causing us to feel in a certain way. And so watch the labels you place onto yourself. I want to unpack a, um, a, a piece of scripture. It's the story of Naomi and Ruth. And it's such a beautiful story, but it highlights the need to watch the labels that we place on ourselves, highlights the need to speak the right things, the Jesus things, the life-giving things, the hope-filled things, because they release resilience from within us, but they also step us into our destiny. And so I want to pick up the story. So from Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, he was a Jew, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, so a whole decade, both Marlon and Kilion also died. What a tragedy. So here we have Naomi. She's now lost her husband and lost her two boys. So here she is with these two young widows, her daughters-in-law. And then we keep reading. Ruth 1 And we're up to verse six. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. At this, they wept aloud again. So Naomi's telling the two daughters-in-law, hey, don't come with me. Don't come with me. You're young. You've got your life here. Don't come with me. And so we know that uh, Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, decided to stay. But Ruth replied with this. Ruth says, But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go and where you stay, I will stay. 
Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So she realised Ruth was coming no matter what. So off they both go and head back to Moab. We'll keep reading. It says, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be, exclaimed, can this be Naomi? So they've headed back into, um, into Bethlehem and they're old time friends, people who hadn't seen them. Remember we read that they'd been in Moab now for 10 years. So they're friends who hadn't seen them for 10 years. There was no social media back then. They wouldn't have known anything about them. They're just seeing them now for the very first time. They wouldn't have even potentially had word that they were returning. And the women are like, can this be Naomi? Is that her? Oh my goodness. Wow. Look at her. And Naomi responds with this. She says to them, she hasn't seen them in 10 years. She says to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now let's stop here for a second. Mara means bitter. Mara means bitter. Her actual name, Naomi, means delightful and present. Pleasant, rather. So she's saying, don't call me delightful and pleasant. Call me bitter, Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Wow. She's met up with these friends after all this time. They call her by her name and she says, no, 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 no. Don't call me pleasant and delightful. Call me bitter. Here's a woman who rightly so, she's been through so much grief. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two boys. She's now probably feeling responsible for Ruth as well, her daughter-in-law. She did tell her to stay because she would have probably had a better life there. She's got her friends there. She can remarry there. And so rightly so, she's carrying grief and burden and defeat. But do you know what she did in that moment? She spoke defeat and bitterness over the rest of her days. She had an identity shift. She was wanting to rename herself, relabel herself. Ruth was there too. Don't forget, Ruth had been married for 10 years. She hadn't conceived a child in 10 years. She was a barren woman. Her young husband had died. She was alone. She's just left her town. She's got her whole future ahead of her and she doesn't know how it's going to pan out. But she didn't speak in that negativity. She knew that her identity wasn't defeated and bitterness. And so, wow, the importance of keeping in mind that just because things go wrong, it doesn't mean that life has fallen apart forever. You see, sometimes what we do is we act like we're on a, you know, on a freeway and we're in the lane that's congested where we're not moving, things are going wrong, there's a car accident up ahead and we're stuck there. 
but we fail to see that there's three other lanes that we can move in there as well. But we stick here and we stay here and we just go, I'm in the stuck lane, I'm in the block lane. This is not getting any better. That is what Naomi did. She spoke defeat and bitterness over her whole future. And then the craziest thing happens. So let's fast forward a little bit. And sometime later, we read this in Ruth chapter 4. So what's happened here is that Ruth decided to go out and get her and her mother-in-law some food. So she makes her way out to a certain field where actually the, uh, the owner of the land is Boaz and Boaz is actually an influential, wealthy man. And so she goes there and we read in scripture that Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He actually noticed her. He actually fell in love with her. They actually got married and he took her to be his wife and she gave birth to a son. So here's this barren woman. Here's this woman who had nothing and yet it looks like there's some openings about to unfold. Marries this rich and influential man, has a baby boy and then the woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. So Boaz was going to look after them and sustain them now. May he become famous throughout Israel. She's talking about the baby, a son who was going to actually grow up and, and, and be the, the heir and the provider. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, she's talking about herself, and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him, her new grandbaby, and they named him Obed. They named him Obed. Now I want to stop there for just a second. Life turned around for both these women because life has a way of doing that. But you know what was even more grand? It wasn't just that she'd found a husband, gotten, uh, had a baby, that um, Naomi had become a grandmother. But crazily enough, we read on that last verse, Ruth 4, 16, Obed was born. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. And we know through that, because of David, that actually Obed was of the lineage of Jesus. Not only did things turn around for them, not only did things improve, but they became part of the lineage of Jesus. They were related to Jesus himself. Wow, they would never have thought that things would turn around. And so for you listening today, don't label yourself or your situation as deemed for no good, as going nowhere, as the end of the road, because you have no idea what God has in store for you. You have no idea what lies ahead. But if you stay back and you don't progress into the places that God has for you and where he wants to take you, you might not see it. And so be that person who stands up and who says no to the labels, no to the negativity, no to those emotions that are nagging for you to stay under the doona because life's too tough. Get up because ahead lies an incredible destiny. And so I want to leave you with three other tips. Firstly, we looked at watching the labels. 
Secondly, it's important for us to understand the nature of emotions. You see, when we look at emotions, we want to be able to factor in the fact that they are emotions. The word itself implies to us that they motion. They motion through us. Sometimes we think that what we're feeling now is going to be what we're feeling forever. And we all know that that's not true. We all know that we don't sit with one single emotion forever. Our emotions rotate and shift and heighten and, low, and, and, they, and then they fall and they dip and then they go up again. And our emotions by nature motion through us. So the next time you feel like your emotions are getting the better of you, whether it's high on the rector scale or just low, just something little, just peak hour traffic, you know, just that person who didn't respond back to your text, just that bill that's a bit too high, just that coffee that didn't taste so great, whatever it is, I want you to remember that emotions by nature will end up motioning through you. Factor in shock factor as well. Of course, as soon as things go wrong, we feel it the most and know that, know that it'll pass. And so that leads me to my next point, live with the tension. You see, living with the tension is a skill that resilient people work at mastering. Living with the tension means that you learn how to actually live with the tension of something not working, but a whole lot of other things working. Living with the tension means living with that slight discomfort where an area of your life might even be completely messed up but not to focus on that and feel like you need to sit there and babysit it and mind it and watch it and pat it. You know, often I hear people say things like, I can't get on with life until I get this sorted. Or I just will never find peace until I fall pregnant. Or I just can't actually be a confident person until my marriage sorts itself out. Whatever it is, that's not going on well in your life at the moment, know that you can develop your resilience in such a way that you can live with the tension of going, you know what? It is what it is. I'm continuing to pray breakthrough into that space. I am doing everything I can to see victory, develop my skills, um, uh, hear from God daily about what I can do differently in that space but I will live with the tension of whilst that is unresolved, I will simultaneously get on with life and do my best and give my best to these other areas here, much like the highway example or the freeway example I mentioned earlier. Don't park in the lane where things aren't working. Learn to release the tension, live with the tension, let it stay there while you move on and proceed and progress in the lanes that are flowing, it is possible to do. It's not denying what's going on. It's not being disloyal to what's going on. It's not um, being irresponsible with what's going on. It's just a great resilience tip where you can leave it there and you can press on knowing that time has a way, Jesus has a way, Self-development has a way of actually playing out into that space. You are not the sum total of what's going wrong in your world. And it's important to remember that. Because when you feel it, you need to decide to say to it, you stay here, 
I'm not very far away, but I can't give you all the attention right now and leave behind all the other areas of my life. Live with the tension. It's a fabulous, fabulous strategy to help you become more resilient. But then, of course, um, it leads us into living with the tension really applies to the areas of your life where you can't do things differently, where you've got nowhere to go, where you can't, um, you don't have the option or the luxury of being able to bring resolve or bring closure or whatever it might be. But in areas where you can, in areas where you can do things differently, where you can make amends, where you can go and apologise to someone, where you um, can get into the word more and believe what God's saying, where you can have that conversation with someone and explain, you know, how you're feeling and where you can fix up your CV and whatever it might be, then try and close the loop on those areas because that helps our resilience as well. Instead of a whole stack of loose-ended bits and pieces in our world, if we can close the loop or bring closure into the areas that are still within our control, that really just helps us focus and zone in and feel like we've got some control, yeah? And often doing those things uh, overflows into all sorts of areas in our life. So the four points there, watch the labels. Don't be like Naomi, Understand the nature of emotions. They will motion through you. Live with the tension and close the loop where you can. And so I pray that this session gives you some insight as to how you can regulate your emotions. They don't need to boss you around. Tune into them, but know that what you say will also release the emotions that you experience. So again, Keep that cycle alive in your head. Know that it exists. Know that your thinking and your emotions and your values are all playing and meshing in together. Whilst it sounds like hard work, everything is. But once you master some of these skills, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, who's working with you to enable you and mobilize you, they will become second nature. You will have new default neural pathways and you will be on your way to being that resilient you that you really want to be. Amen.